Welcome to Seismic Sound Off, exploring the depth and usefulness of geophysics for the scientific community and the public. I'm your host, Andrew Gary. OSIOMAS has provided the foundation for geophysicists around the world to learn, utilize, and optimize seismic reflection data acquisition and processing. Through several technical publications and four SEG-published massive and comprehensive texts, these methods are widely used for oil and gas exploration and near-surface engineering. It's my honor to welcome back Oz to the podcast. In this episode, he will highlight his award-winning article, a reality check on full wave inversion applied to land seismic data for near-surface modeling. During this conversation, Oz assesses the accuracy of full wave inversion applied to land seismic data for near-surface modeling. He elaborates on his definition of near-surface and explains why he believes full wave inversion failed to yield an accurate near-surface model. Oz also describes how the seismic waves behave within the near-surface, and what would make a good initial model for FWI. Using his insightful and informative style, Oz provides invaluable information on some of the most important topics facing geophysicists. He breaks down complex issues into understandable and actionable takeaways. Do not miss this opportunity to learn from one of the best geophysicists working today. To read this award-winning paper, explore Oz's books, and find links to previous interviews visit seg.org slash podcast or check out the episode show notes where you're listening. And now my conversation with Oziel Mass. We are talking about your paper that won best paper in the leading edge for 2022. And how did you assess the accuracy of full wave inversion applied to land seismic data for near surface modeling? In this paper, Andrew, we evaluate the performance of travel time tomography and full wave inversion for near surface modeling using the data from a shallow seismic field experiment. Eight boreholes up to 20 meter depth have been drilled along the seismic line traverse to verify the accuracy of the P wave velocity depth model estimated by seismic inversion. Before going into details, can you give a short summary of the results of your investigation? Yes. We find that the velocity depth model of the soil column and the geometry of the soil bedrock interface, estimated by travel time tomography, is in very good agreement with the borehole data. Because the first arrivals can be safely assumed to be P waves only, Travel time tomography applied to first break times yields a near-surface P-wave velocity depth model that can be declared as a close representation of the ground truth. Now, this claim in the paper is supported by comparison of the seismic model of the soil column and the borehole data. We use the travel time tomography model as initial model and performed full wave inversion. Full wave acoustic and elastic inversions, however, have failed to converge to a velocity depth model that desirably should be a high resolution version of the model 
estimated by travel time tomography. Moreover, there are significant discrepancies between the estimated models and the borehole data. Why do you think that full-wave inversion failed to yield an accurate near-surface model? It is understandable why full-wave acoustic inversion would fail. Land seismic data inherently are elastic wave fields. The question is, why does full-wave elastic inversion also fail? As demonstrated by the shallow seismic field experiment, the elastic wave inversion yields a near-surface solution that still is not in agreement with the borehole data. I think it would be helpful if you first describe what you mean by the term near-surface. Sure. In land seismic exploration, data often are acquired over an irregular topographic surface and complex near-surface. In exploration seismology, the near surface is defined as the depth interval below the free surface with usual thickness up to a few tens or in some cases a few hundreds of meters composed of low velocity, unconsolidated soils and heterogeneous weathered rocks. As such, ray paths are close to vertical incidence within the near surface. This is indeed a requirement for status corrections to be acceptable. How do these seismic waves behave within the near surface? In exploration seismology, majority of land seismic data is recorded using vertical component geophones in order to capture reflected P waves with near vertical particle motion. By deploying vertical component geophones, however, we also inadvertently record Rayleigh-type surface waves, commonly referred to as ground roll, because of their vertically elliptical particle motion. The near surface also traps P waves beyond the critical angle of propagation, which form guided waves traveling in the horizontal direction. What about the behavior of land seismic source in the presence of a near surface? Most of the energy radiated from a vertical impact seismic source applied to a low velocity near surface is associated with SV type shear waves. Whereas the P wave radiated energy is a small fraction of the total radiated energy. The amplitudes of the radiated P and SV waves depend on the radiation angle. Now, the radiated SV and P waves incident at different angles at the interface between the near surface layer above and the subsurface below are partitioned into four reflected and four refracted wave components associated with the wave modes SV to SV, SV to P, P to P, and P to SV. The SV waves trapped within the near surface beyond the critical angle of incidence are coupled with P waves within the near surface layer, forming Rayleigh-type surface waves. 
So we are indeed dealing with field records that comprise elastic wave fields, and therefore full wave inversion for near-surface modeling must in principle be performed not as acoustic, but elastic wave inversion. Now, we should also note that only a tiny fraction of the source energy survives the near surface, transmits into the subsurface, and gives rise to reflected and diffracted waves. On the return path, the reflected and diffracted waves encounter the complexity of the near surface once more before being captured by receivers at the surface. So we must appreciate how precious is the P2P wave energy transmitted to the subsurface, the wave mode that gives rise to useful subsurface reflections. Well, now let's return to the main topic of full wave inversion applied to land seismic data for near-surface modeling. Yes, in this paper, we evaluate FWI, full wave inversion, applied to land seismic data within the context of near-surface modeling. For most cases of near-surface complexity, travel time tomography is very robust and far more computationally efficient compared to full-wave inversion and is more than adequate to resolve the medium to long-wavelength statics. Nevertheless, travel time tomography relies on the accuracy of first-break picking and falls short of resolving velocity reversal, the case of a high-velocity layer embedded within a low-velocity near-surface, that is, the hidden layer problem. FWI, on the other hand, in theory may be a viable alternative for near-surface modeling in such cases. Additionally, FWI has been promoted to be the method that can resolve lateral velocity variations with dimensions smaller than the dominant wavelength and shorter than those that can be resolved by travel time tomography. With FWI being an inversion method, what would be a good initial model to start the iteration? Well, practical experience has taught us that for FWI to likely converge to the global minimum and thus yield a physically plausible near-surface model, it needs an initial model that is closest possible to the near-surface model that can be accepted as a close representation of the ground truth. The initial model that qualifies for this criterion is that estimated by travel time tomography applied to first arrival times picked from shot records. Again, the question then is, for near-surface modeling, can we apply full-wave acoustic inversion, or is it imperative that we apply full-wave elastic inversion? Do you think there is a place for acoustic FWI applied to near-surface modeling? We may take the bold step and retain the early portions of the shot gathers, which we may assume to contain largely P waves by excluding the surface waves and apply full wave acoustic inversion. Now, as I stated earlier, the radiated energy 
associated with a vertical impact source applied to a very low velocity near surface gives rise to radio-type surface waves and a mixture of P and S wave modes. This fact alone disqualifies acoustic wave inversion applied to land seismic data for near-surface modeling. And the resulting near-surface model may be physically implausible and dissimilar to the initial model estimated by travel time tomography. Nevertheless, you may want to be less ambitious and apply acoustic wave inversion only to early arrival waveforms rather than early portions of the recorded shock gaps because we may safely assume that the early arrival waveforms associated with the first break times are essentially P waves. Understandably, the resulting near-surface model should closely resemble the initial model estimated by travel time tomography. Does this then mean that you really should apply elastic FWI for near-surface modeling? Yes. This leads us to the unavoidable conclusion that we should perform full-wave elastic inversion of vertical component geophone data to estimate a physically plausible near-surface model. Specifically, we can perform travel time tomography to estimate a P-wave velocity depth model for the near-surface. Because a low-velocity near-surface gives rise to Rayleigh-type surface waves with large amplitudes, we can also perform Rayleigh wave inversion to estimate an S-wave velocity depth model for the near surface. Then we can use the resulting pairs of models as the initial models for the subsequent full-wave elastic inversion. Nonetheless, as demonstrated by the field data example in the paper, elastic wave inversion may yield a near-surface solution that may not be physically more plausible than the solution from full-wave acoustic inversion. As I understand, anyone interested in applying full-wave inversion to land seismic data for near-surface modeling should be mindful of the results of the field experiment described in this paper. Is that accurate? Yes. First and foremost, seismic wave amplitudes are significantly more prone to noise than travel times. In the case of travel time tomography, you have the opportunity to edit the first arrival travel times, pick from shock gathers, discard some, and correct some, so that the travel time set input to inversion is entirely within your control. Now, in contrast, you do not have the same opportunity with the wave amplitudes. In fact, any signal processing aimed at removing non-signal content of the recorded data can inevitably give rise to amplitude distortions. Unlike the robustness of travel time tomography, full-wave inversion of land seismic data for near-surface modeling in most cases is intricately sensitive to wave amplitudes and inversion parameterization. Additionally, there is no need to belabor the problems with the estimation of a source wavelet required for wave field modeling 
of the recorded land seismic data as a crucial component of full wave inversion workflow. How would you evaluate the results of acoustic versus elastic FWI in your study? The early arrivals on shock gathers, which may be considered as essentially P waves, can be much weaker than the Rayleigh-type surface waves. Therefore, full-wave elastic inversion relies on weak amplitude P waves and strong amplitude S waves. As such, much of the benefit from elastic inversion is related to S wave velocity estimation, whereas the difference between the acoustic and elastic inversions with respect to P-wave velocity estimation, is marginal. Moreover, unlike the subsurface, the near surface can be highly heterogeneous, strongly anisotropic, highly attenuating, and even poroelastic in nature. Therefore, full-wave elastic inversion would even be a futile exercise if these characteristics of the near surface are not accounted for. Now, an often overlooked aspect of the near surface is the fact that the near surface P-wave velocities can be as low as 400 meters per second or lower. And S-wave velocities can be as low as 100 meters per second and even lower. Such low velocities give rise to a serious stability problem for full-wave inversion schemes. Oz, would you elaborate on estimating the initial P and S wave velocities for elastic FWI? Yes, there can be significant differences in P and S wave velocity variations within the near surface. The near surface S wave velocity field is not necessarily a scaled version of the near surface P wave velocity field. This means that the initial P and S wave velocity depth models for the near surface required by full wave elastic inversion must be estimated independently. Specifically, we can perform travel time tomography to estimate a P wave velocity depth model for the near surface and rail wave inversion to estimate an S wave velocity depth model for the near surface then use the resulting pairs of models as the initial models for the subsequent full-wave elastic inversion. But we also need an initial model for the density. We may unwillingly assume a laterally constant density for the near surface with a vertical gradient. Under these circumstances, in relation to the initial model parameters, Full-wave elastic inversion applied to vertical component seismic data can be an ambitious effort, especially if you only want to estimate a P-wave velocity depth model for the near surface. If your objective then is to estimate both P and S-wave velocity depth models for the near surface, what would be your strategy? The ultimate realistic strategy is to acquire multi-component data, at least with two components, the VV component recorded by using vertical component geophones and vertical impact source, and the SH component recorded by using 
transverse horizontal component geophones and transverse horizontal source. Travel time inversion of the first arrival times picked from the VV component yields the P-wave velocity depth model for the near surface and travel time inversion of the first arrival times picked from the SH-SH component yields the S-wave velocity depth model of the near surface. Because the first arrival times picked from the VV component are associated with P waves uncontaminated by any other wave mode, and the first arrival times picked from the SH-SH component are associated with S waves uncontaminated by any other wave mode, the estimated PNS wave velocity depth models for the near surface do not suffer from the uncertainties associated with full wave acoustic and elastic inversions. What would be your punchline as we are closing this conversation? Always keep in mind that none of the methods can resolve very short wavelength near surface velocity variations that are within the range of residual status. As such, whatever the method you use for near surface modeling to compute shot receiver statics, you always have to subsequently estimate and apply residual statics to land seismic data. It is the most indispensable step in land seismic data analysis, and there is no substitute for it. Well, I appreciate you highlighting this paper again and and for showcasing your work. It's really such a benefit to the community for you to highlight this paper. Well, Andrew, thank you for this conversation. And I wish to take the opportunity to express my heartfelt gratitude to my co-authors. Each of them made substantial contribution to this paper. Thank you very much. You reached the end of Seismic Sound Off. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you want to be the first to know about the next episode, please follow or subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Two of my favorites are Apple Podcasts and Spotify. If you have episode ideas, feedback for the show, or want to sponsor a future episode, visit seg.org slash podcast and find the box titled Contact Seismic Sound Off. Zach Bridges created original music for this show. This episode was hosted, edited, and produced by me, Andrew Gary at Treasurement. The SEG podcast team is Jennifer Cobb, Kathy Gamble, and Ali McGinnis. Thank you for listening. This is Seismic Sound Off, signaling off.